Well, I thought this being my first weekend here, my first weekend as a parish priest, and you know, I was ordained a priest three weeks ago, but this is my first weekend on the job, so I'm a baby priest. This is my first weekend. I thought I would uh, take this opportunity to give an overview of Christianity, an overview of Catholicism. I grew up in a Catholic home, in a Catholic family, doing Catholic things, but I didn't really know the story. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we come to Mass? Why do we go to confession? Why do we get baptized and all, these, and all these other things? Why do we do these things? And I think if we know the story, that helps us to know. That helps us to know why. And that story can be told in many different ways, but I like the way that one priest in particular, Father John Ricardo, the way that he tells it. And he breaks it down into four parts. So he makes it easy to remember. Created, captured, rescued, and response. So really easy to remember. Created, captured, rescued, and response. I'll go through those four parts briefly. So first of all, we've been created. God is love. God is love itself. God is love himself. So when we talk about God having, having attributes, the most important one is the fact that he is love. That's who he is. That's who the scriptures review him to be. God is love. He... By, by virtue of being love, he wanted to share himself with others. That's what love does. When we love somebody, we want to share ourselves with them. And so God, who is love himself, wanted to share himself with others. So he made creatures. He made us so that he could share his life with us. And that's why we exist. That's why there's something rather than nothing. You know, the philosophers have been asking that for a long time. And that's the answer. There is something because God, who is the creator, created us in order to share in his life. But he didn't just create us to be animals or to be robots. He actually created us in his image and likeness, which means that we have free will. We have the choice to choose to love or to choose not to love. And of course, our first parents chose not to love. They were tempted by the enemy to be their own gods. That was their original temptation. The serpent said to Adam and Eve in the garden, If you eat of this fruit, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you too can become a god. And so they did. And so they were captured by the enemy. They were no longer living in perfect relationship with the Creator, with the Father, living in union with Him, in harmony with Him, and in harmony with each other. But they were now living according to their own plans, their own designs, their own providence for themselves. And this, of course, has been perpetuated down the generations to today, until us. So we've inherited both of these realities from our first parents. Both the fact that we've been created for love and the fact that we've been captured by the enemy. That's why we do what we don't want to do, as St. Paul says. And why we don't do what we do want to do. Okay, but that's not the end of the story either. Because God didn't want it to be this way. And so he didn't leave it that way. He initiated a plan of salvation, a plan to rescue us from bondage, a plan to restore us to our original glory. And that's, of course, the story of Christ. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, which means that he is God, right? Just to be really clear about that. There are other Christian denominations or so-called Christian denominations and other religions that don't really claim that Jesus is God. In order to be a Christian, we have to claim that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, uncreated, always was, 
Okay, but that's the second person of the Trinity. Took on a human nature, took on human flesh, became man, came down to earth. And that's really important too, that he really became a man. He just didn't, he wasn't just God who looked like a man. No, he really took on human nature and he became man. This is important because he healed us from within. He healed our nature from within. He didn't just fish us out of a pond and leave us in our brokenness. No, he actually wants to go into us and heal us and restore us. That's what he did to human nature as a whole. And that's what he wants to do to each one of us. Okay, so he came and rescued us. He came and became man. And then he died on the cross, took on all of our sins onto himself. Died and three days later, resurrected and ascended back to the Father. Laying out the same path for us to follow. Let me give you a couple of images to help sink this in. A, a famous picture is that picture of D-Day. Remember from June 6, 1944, of soldiers coming onto the beach. Maybe this weekend you can imagine a, an image from the American Revolutionary War, where you have soldiers coming onto battle. If we just ask, if we just look at a picture, that picture, and we ask, what are those soldiers coming to do? Let's look at the, the, the soldiers coming onto the beach. What are they, those soldiers coming to do? Would anyone say, oh, they're just coming to enjoy a vacation. They're just coming to hang out for a, a warm Sunday afternoon. We know exactly what those soldiers are doing. They're coming to fight. They know that an evil ruler has overtaken a continent, and those soldiers are coming to liberate those people under his bondage. Now, what about when we look at a nativity scene and we see a baby lying in a manger? Do we think that that baby is coming to fight? Yet that's exactly what that baby came to do. He came to liberate his beloved sons and daughters from bondage from an evil ruler. Let me read you a couple of passages from scriptures, from the scriptures. The first is from the first letter of St. John. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Or from the book of wisdom. For a while, gentle silence enveloped all things, and night in its swift course was now half gone. Thy all-powerful word, Jesus, the word of God, thy all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of the land that was doomed, a stern warrior. Of course, we think of God as being loving and being merciful, and thanks be to God because he is, both of those things. But do we also think of him as a stern warrior who comes to fight, to destroy the works of the devil, and to rescue his sons and daughters, us? Well, that's who he is. That's the good news. We no longer have to live in bondage. And C.S. Lewis wrote, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. Landed in enemy territory in disguise. You see, God didn't become man to tell stories, although he did. He did tell stories. He didn't become man to do miracles, although he did. He became man to rescue his creation, to rescue us. This is Christianity. And sometimes we miss this point 
And we look for inspiration elsewhere, in the culture, in movies, in, in books, in, in sports figures, and successful businessmen. And we know that there are a lot of people leaving the Catholic Church, leaving Christianity, especially a lot of young men. And it's not like they're not looking for meaning. They're looking for inspiration. They're looking for role models, and they find them in other people in the culture. And sometimes some of those young, or some, some, some of those role models are good and virtuous, and they'll lead those, those young men to God, and thanks be to God for that. But a lot of times they aren't. And I think part of the reason why they're not, these young men are not finding in Christianity what they are finding in these other popular figures is because we are not presenting the fullness of Christ. We're not presenting Christ as a stern warrior, as someone that young men can look up to. Young men and women, but especially young men, somebody to look up to, to emulate, to pursue, to be like. Let me give you this image from this, from this movie. Some of you may have seen it. It's called Taken with Liam Neeson. Has anyone seen the movie? Yeah. Now, the movie is uh, a few years old. I, uh, I'm going to spoil it, but I don't feel bad. It's been out for 15 years. You've had your chance. <laughs> it's a story of a retired CIA officer. And he's lived a long, hard career. And now that he's retired to spend more time with his daughter, his daughter is kidnapped. She's taken. And he gets on the phone with his kidnappers as they're, in, as they're doing it, as they're taking her. And he tells her, he tells them, the kidnappers, the following line. Now, if you've seen it, you know how good of a deliverer it is. Don't expect that here. <laughs> he says to them, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will end you. And there's a pregnant pause in the movie as we're waiting to hear what the response is going to be from the kidnappers. And we hear him say, good luck, and hangs up the phone. So now we're all at the edge of our seats watching the movie, watching this father go from the United States to France to hunt down his daughter's kidnappers. And of course, he succeeds. He gets to her in the on a ship in the belly of the whale with a ev very evil man. And he gets there to prevent an act. And he stops and he, and he successfully rescues her. And she runs to him and she looks at him in the eyes and says, Daddy, you came for me. And he says, I told you I would. This is the Christian story. Our loving father having come to rescue us. And us looking at him in the eyes and saying, you came for me. And this leads to the fourth part. Created, re captured, rescued, and now the fourth part. Our response. Because we have free will. So God doesn't force any of this on us. He invites us to respond to him. And the invitation can't be half-hearted. The, the response can't be half-hearted. The response has to be whole. 
has to be entire, has to be full. In the words of Jesus, it looks like this. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These are the most intimate of human relationships between parents and children and between children and parents. And Jesus is saying, you have to love me above what's most intimate, what's most personal, what's most important to you. And by the way, this is one proof that Jesus is God. Because for him to say this, he either has to be God or absolutely crazy. If anyone, any good moral teacher came up here and said, you have to love me more than anything or anyone else, you would hopefully chase them out of the room. But we don't do that to Jesus because Jesus is God. And this is why we have been created. So it makes perfect sense to love Jesus, to love God, more than anything and anyone else. And it is, in fact, only when we do this, only when we love God more than anything and anyone else, that we can properly love others without clinging to others, without being selfish in our love for others. And our love for others really deteriorating into self-love or into trying to get others to love us. So when we love God more than anything and anyone else, then we can receive his love freely, and then therefore we can love others with his love. But you see, it has to be full. It has to be whole. We can't just say, I'll love you, God, in these areas of my life, but not in these other areas. Or I'll love you in regards to these parts or these times of my life, but not in these other times. We have to give him everything. And we do this by saying yes to him. We don't do it perfectly, but we say yes to him, and he can work with that. I remember when I first did this was in 2011. I was in World Youth Day in, in Madrid. And I'd been on a journey of conversion, but at that moment I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you everything. I've spent the last 12 years trying to take that back. <laughs> but God can work with that. And he's been merciful. And that's the thing, you know, we give God ourselves, we give God our lives, and we don't do it perfectly, but he works in us. And every moment that we do, we're, we're echoing Our Lady's words, may it be done unto me according to thy word. She didn't know how it was going to turn out. She didn't know exactly what that entailed for her. But she had the faith and the trust to know that the Father would provide for her. And so she was free to say yes. And we do that in our own prayer. We do that when we come and become baptized and go to confession and receive those words of the priest. I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, totally freeing us, restoring us into communion with him. And we do that, of course, when we come to Mass and we come and bring our hearts here to the priest and the priest unites them to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And then what happens? Jesus gives himself fully to us. That's the movement. That's the dance. That's the relationship. We give everything to Christ and Christ gives everything, himself, his very self to us. So what is it that we're loving more than God? Is it particular relationships? Is it security? Is it happiness? Is it our reputation? What is it? This is the time to bring it to the altar, to lay it at the foot of the cross, and to give God everything. To say to him, yes, and to never stop saying yes every day of our lives.